Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. Another week of political conventions this week as the Democrats descend on Philadelphia. Of course, last week we saw the Republicans in Cleveland, and it probably could not have been more dramatic. Each day seemed to bring one more sort of surprise and uh, cliffhanger kind of element. I mean, as reality television, it was riveting. I'm not sure it did what it needed to do in terms of being a political convention. We'll see if the Democrats can hold things together better this week. Of course, they come into this week with an advantage in the sense that they don't have the kind of rancor uh, and uh, dissension that, that we thought we were seeing last week with the Republicans. But then again, last night, uh, over the weekend, we see a developing story that threatens to make things just a little more raucous. Uh, so we're going to talk all week about we're going to talk all week about the Democratic Convention. We're going to talk about the history of the Democratic Party. We're going to talk about Donald Trump in contrast to Hillary Clinton and uh, the Democrats in contrast to the Republicans. So you're going to want to stay around all week and give us a call uh, today. All day we'll talk about what you expect to see from the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. What are you looking for? Are you really satisfied with the the Clinton Kane ticket? Do you think that's the way to 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 victory in November? Uh, what do you think of this scandal with the DNC? Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the DNC party chair, announcing just a day before the convention gets started that she's going to have to step down because of a scandal uh, burgeoning in that organization. Does that matter to you? Do you think that means that uh, Democrats are were up to something the whole time during the primaries trying to put their thumb on the scale in favor of Hillary Clinton? Do you think it was just outright cheating? Lots of people in my Facebook feed, Bernie supporter, supporters saying they think this proves that the fix was always in for Hillary Clinton. Give us a call, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation about that today. 313-577-1019. A little later in the show, we're going to talk with historian Mark Kruman uh, at Wayne State University about the history of the Democratic Party, sort of where this convention fits in the line of Democratic history. And then we're going to hear from Congresswoman Debbie Dingell about what Democrats need to do to get a bump coming out of this week. How how do they get their momentum going uh, to beat Donald Trump in the fall? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. It's 313-577-1019. And joining me now to talk about the events unfolding in Philadelphia is Rebecca Cinderbrand. She's a political editor at The Washington Post. Rebecca, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, so let's talk about uh, first the scandal that has consumed uh, the, the, the headlines in the last couple of days uh, at the DNC. Um, how does that play in Philadelphia? Is it a real threat to the kind of calm, unifying convention that I know Hillary Clinton and her campaign hope to have this week? Well, you know, I mean, it's just another data point, to be honest. You know, the <laughs> dynamics are already in place for... Um, not the calmest or most unified of conventions. Um, and so this won't swing things one way or the other. We do know that um, uh, progressive delegates were planning to call for a roll call, and they're also planning to, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is still going to make it a 
appearance, although she's not going to be have quite the um, the role that she had been expected to play at the convention, they're planning to coordinate booze and make it a loud and kind of sustained reaction. Um, so you're going to see some very um, distinct and very obvious signs of you know a party that's a bit divided. Uh, on the other hand, it's unclear that that wouldn't have taken place absent this uh, news story and Debbie Wasserman Schultz's resignation. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that strikes me about this whole thing is that the revelations here, if you really comb through them, are not terribly surprising. I mean, there's some stuff in there that makes you scratch your head and and wonder what was going on, but it is not a a huge surprise, I think, uh, anything that, that we're seeing there. But because it fits in the context of a candidate who has had a problem with transparency, a problem with people trusting her, 67 percent of voters in some polls say they don't trust Hillary Clinton. It, it, it seems like that that all snowballs together. In other words, in people's minds, it reinforces what they were already nervous or uh, or uncertain about and that that could be the problem for Hillary Clinton. And the irony, of course, is that, um, it, you know, the Clinton campaign has actually wanted Debbie Washman Schultz to step aside uh, for a bit. They've been yes. saying, look, you know, it, it, it's kind of it's time to go. And, and she'd been holding on. This is what our reporters are hearing from sources both inside the DNC and the Clinton campaign. Um, it took a call from the president for Debbie Wasserman Schultz to step down. So <laughs> it, it, this is, you know, it, to the extent that she was a supporter of Hillary Clinton, she clearly was not doing the bidding of the Clinton campaign in all yeah. respects because um, they would rather not have had her there at this moment on the eve of the convention to resign, um, to, to create this story in the first place. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Rebecca Cinderbrand. She's a political editor at The Washington Post. We're talking about the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, this week in Philadelphia and what to expect. Uh, Rebecca, talk about the, 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 the message that Hillary Clinton needs to make clear this week. Talk about uh, where they want to be by Friday in terms of uh, not just party unity, but outreach to independents, which, of course, is always uh, the trick in, in presidential campaigns. It's not just your voters you got to get. you got to get those folks who sit in the middle. You know, we're in a very strange moment for polling right now, obviously. We're between the conventions. We've had the Republican convention. They've made their case. We haven't yet had the Democratic. Um, so we're starting to get some polls um, in the aftermath of the Republican convention. It's a very brief snapshot of where we are right now. It's uh-huh. not very predictive for fall. But what it does tell us is that Trump's message seems to have edu- um, resonated in particular with non-college educated whites. Now, that we've known for some time, but he, in some of these polls, is seeing a tremendous bump, high double digits, you know, 19% in the CNN poll out today, um, whereas he's lost some ground with college-educated white voters. So um, it, it kind of stemming the bleeding of the working-class white voters is absolutely um, something that Hillary Clinton is going to have to do. She's not necessarily going to win those voters, and, and they know that, but she does have to kind of reduce some of that enthusiasm or make it um, uh, make herself kind of less of a figure that voters will want to go out and vote 
against. You know, it, it's interesting. We had um, Mitt Romney, um, one of Mitt Romney's top campaign staffers, saying that the the challenge for Hillary Clinton right now is, in some ways, the challenge that Mitt Romney faced. In that, you know, once you're seen as inauthentic or someone who doesn't necessarily connect with average voters, um, almost anything that you do in an attempt to connect comes across as inauthentic. So it's a very, very tough challenge for her um, heading into the convention. You know, that's a likely to be for all the kind of tumult outside and potentially, you know, on the floor, um, a more tightly choreographed convention than the one we saw last week. Now, we don't know precisely how it will play out, but we do know it is, you know, far more planned that the people who are going to be on stage represent uh, the party to a greater extent. You have President Obama, Vice President Biden, so you have all of these party luminaries who are going to be appearing on stage that didn't happen in the Republican convention. So um, it'll be interesting to see where the numbers shift at the end of this week. Yeah. Uh, what about vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine? What effect is he likely to have at the at the convention? I saw lots of conflicting uh, takes on that on, on my social media this, this weekend. Lots of people pretty energized about Tim Tim Kaine, who's a familiar face, has done a lot of different things over the course of his political career. But uh, the friends of mine who were Bernie supporters were not just disappointed, but angrily disappointed uh, by his by his selection. What, what role is he likely to play, uh, not just in the polling and things like that, but but this week at the convention in trying to sort of sew Democrats together? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting with Tim Kaine. You know, he's someone who um, who is known for kind of um, being a, somewhat of a unifying presence. You know, you had it was the interesting reaction from his, from Capitol Hill to his selection. You couldn't find a Republican or a Democrat who had something bad to say about Tim Kaine, and, and so to an extent that actually reflects Hillary Clinton looking beyond Election Day, were she to be elected president, um, he's someone who could fill a, almost a Joe Biden role in kind of smoothing relations with Capitol Hill. Um, but what that means right now is that, you know, he's someone who they're hoping, you know, can connect with those progressive voters. He's someone who, when he began his career, he was seen as kind of an urban liberal. you got to remember Virginia is a very conservative state, or, you know, has been a conservative state that is now edging into swing state territory. So by the standards of that state, he was actually quite liberal. Um, on the other hand, of course, his personal beliefs, he is a Catholic, he's personally pro-life. So, you know, there are all of these varying factors in play. I think his speech um, will be a very interesting one. It'll be the first time a lot of these people are actually hearing directly from Tim Kaine, who hasn't had the profile of an Elizabeth Warren or, or someone like that. Um, and so um, the reviews that he gets after that speech, I think, will be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's always a little tricky with uh, the vice presidential pick, right? You're, you're, you're trying to shore up what you can inside the party, but of course, you're always looking outside the party as well and, and trying to shore up uh, independents who may be skeptical of your of your candidacy. Uh, Tim Kaine, to me, uh, because uh, I I've, I've can remember writing about Tim Kaine when I was uh, working in Washington, uh, particularly about the death penalty work that he did uh, in Virginia, the, the, sort of both sides of the coin that he that he had to play there. I mean, he's he's a, a very uh, I don't want to say safe pick, but he's he's a pick with a, a really broad reach or a, a potentially broad reach of appeal, and that seemed to me to make to make a lot of sense. 
Absolutely. You know, he checked off, probably the candidate more than any other that checked off all the boxes that she was looking for, um, both for during the campaign, someone who passed the vet, um, someone who um, was from a swing state to the extent that that matters, someone who is able to reach out to both wings of the party and also has some independent voter appeal, um, but also looking again past Election Day, not just being able to serve as um, a liaison to Capitol Hill, but someone with whom she has a level of personal rapport, felt that she had some sort of connection. I mean, you got to remember, if she's elected president, were she to be elected, this is someone she'd potentially have to be working with for the next, you know, eight years of her life. And so um, that's something that was very, very important to her in making this election. Yeah. Uh, we've got lots of phone callers here and want to join the conversation. David in Gross Point, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you very much. Sure. Uh, it's my pleasure. The, uh, I just have a couple of comments, if you if you have a moment. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, you know, the, the whole issue of trust with Hillary Clinton is is interesting you know, when, you, when you think about how long it's been going on. But I think that the, you know, in some respects, the, the you know, the thing with Wasserman sort of, you know, brings it to a head. And the thing that's ironic about it that I think the press hasn't touched on is that I wouldn't be surprised if Wasserman ends up getting her year-end bonus for meeting her objective, which is getting <laughs> Hillary on the ticket. So you think and, it's, uh, David, you think it's that explicit, that there's no... There's no even pretense here of of even handedness. Oh, absolutely. And you know, and the other thing that's ironic, and I think this is the thing that has frustrated the voters the most, especially on the, the Democratic side of the ticket, is that in essence, the you know, you know, with the help of the DNC, we really have had our choice sort of compromised or in some cases maybe even taken away. And, you know, Hillary was put up, if you look at the Republican side, what, you know, Trump went up against uh, 17 different candidates, whereas Hillary was sort of put in place and was a foregone conclusion from day one, as evidenced by the, uh, the email scandal. So, you know, consider the possibility that we've had our choice compromised. Well, but, I think that's a pretty big deal. Okay, David, but, but before, I'm not going to let you just sort of make that, that generality. Compromised how? Voters were able to go to the polls, right, and select the person that they wanted in those primaries and caucuses. What about that do you feel like was unfair? Well, you know, when, when you think about the, the, the dynamics of statewide voting, you know, whether it be in Michigan or beyond, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, it doesn't take much to tip the balance. And little things like, uh, you know, the DNC... Um, siding exclusively with Clinton and, you know, putting out bad press on Bernie and so forth and so on is just enough to tilt the tables on top of of all the other, you know, the typical uh, decision points that people make can swing things one way or another. And if you look at if you look at the results over the last several months, there were some states that were pretty darn close that could have gone one way or the other that might have put Sanders in a better position. So that's So you I feel like it. you feel like party meddling in message and campaigning and advertising and things like things like that tipped it for, for Clinton. Correct. And you know, I, I agree. Correct. I think you're you're absolutely right. And the No, and I'm not saying that I'm saying that's what you I, I guess I was reflecting that that's what you you yeah. believe happened, yeah. 
And it, and it, and it doesn't, and, and what we'll find, I think what you'll observe, especially when there's no landslide one way or the other, is that it doesn't take much. I mean, you can even reflect back to the, uh, you know, the, the, the Gore Bush uh, scenario where sure. they were counting chads. I mean, it's a bit, couple it, hundred it, votes. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really subtle yeah. point. Yeah. That can da- swing the election one way or the other. David, I, I really appreciate uh, your call. Uh, Rebecca Sinderbrin uh, of the Washington Post, I, I hear a lot of people saying what David was just saying there, which is that this just sort of goes to the idea that there was a that there was an effort uh, being made to, to swing things toward Hillary Clinton. Of course, as outsiders, people can very easily draw those those conclusions. I think people who know the internal workings of the party and the relationship between uh, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Hillary Clinton, strained as it as it has been, it, it seems a little harder to sort of get to that point. Absolutely. We're talking about two very separate um, issues here, which I think people are kind of bunching together because they seem like they go together. The first is whether or not the DNC actually did anything that substantively affected the outcome of the election. And the second is what voters think or what the the liberal base of the party thinks, the impression that they have and how they feel about it. Um, We have to be clear, there's no evidence that there was any kind of any substantial action that had any sort of impact um, to the extent that you see email traffic that reflects kind of a, a, you know, a preference for Hillary Clinton. That's something that one might expect when you're dealing with you know, a candidate who's not a member of the party, um, who for years they've been kind of trying to draw into the party and he's been rejecting them. Um, when he's running against a, a lifelong member of the, of the party or someone sure. who's been a member of the party for decades, you're going to see that kind of resistance and that kind of you know, antagonism privately. Um, but, you know, again, Bernie Sanders actually got a higher percentage of the delegates than his percentage of the popular vote. So if they were trying to rig the system, um, that, they didn't do a very good job rigging it. Um, <laughs> right. You know, the superdelegates didn't make a, a, a difference in the, um, in the outcome of the election. Hillary Clinton got more pledged delegates, got more votes by several million. Now, we can talk about these facts, and these are hard data points. And, and looking at the surveys, Hillary Clinton actually was the preference of a majority of both Democratic voters and voters overall in Democratic primaries. But, but again, you have many voters who hold the same sort of opinion as your caller, who yeah. think to themselves, who have this impression um, that the party was not hearing them because their candidate didn't, was not successful. Um, and you need to kind of bring them over. They are right now, according to the polls, they've been supporting Hillary Clinton um, to an extent that we might not have expected, but they're doing so very unenthusiastically. And so the question for the party is, do they actually show up on election day? Do they volunteer? Do they do all of those things that you might have otherwise expected some of them to do? Some of them were never going to be Clinton voters to begin with. Let's let's be clear. Um, but you, but you do can't need lose all to have them. them on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Rebecca Sinderbren, political editor at the Washington Post. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. All right. Up next, we're going to take a look at the history of the Democratic Party, how this year's election and convention fits into that history. Mark Crewman, history professor at Wayne State University, is here. And we're going to continue to talk about the news. What do you think of the DNC scandal? What do you think of Hillary Clinton's VP pick? What are you watching for this week in Philadelphia to help you make a decision about your vote? 313-577-1019. Stay on the phones with us and stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.